tipped the wall, had a station wagon and a hundred dollars, thinking about the girl I'd lost a year before. I hadn't seen her for some time, thought I might go on by when your memory came flooding in and you closed that door. Wish I was a freight train, baby, wish I was a diesel locomotive, I come pissing down your track, crashing in your door. Wish I was a freight train, baby, wish I didn't have a heart, you need a shovel for the cold, just to get me started. Wish I was a freight train, baby, wish I was a freight train, baby, wish I was a freight train. Hello, my friends. It's March 10th, 2023. My name is Critch, and you are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. Welcome, my friends. Sorry for the long hiatus between shows. I'm going to explain to you exactly kind of what was going on there. Um, my cows decided to start calving early. <laughs> like really early. Um, yeah, the other day I had uh, one of my better cows. I was uh, out choring and I noticed, well, I'll be, she's in labor. So I just uh, did what we all do. I, I finished up choring and gave her some privacy and I figured, ah, yeah, I'll give her about an hour and she should have everything handled and there'll be a calf on the ground for me to tag and make sure it gets up and sucks and everything will be good and dandy, right? So I go, I finish, finish around the yard and wander back out there and check on her again and nope, she hasn't made any progress whatsoever. So this cow is really quiet. She lets you, uh, she lets you poke around. <clears throat> And uh, so I kind of poked around there and, oh yeah, I've got a backwards calf here, which is not a good thing for those of you that are in the know of the cows. Um, so then I uh, <clears throat> then I figured I'd get her in the barn and, and we'd, uh, we'd get this worked out. And uh, this cow absolutely would not go in the barn. She was in labor and did not want to cooperate with me whatsoever. So then I, uh, <clears throat> then I moved the plan over okay well let's do this outside we'll do it uh do it in my chute and so i got her in the chute and uh she was pushing so hard for the life of me i could not get those back feet up my friends um it was i just could not get her to relax so at that point i made the decision okay i'll phone the vet <clears throat> and uh i get the vet on the line and and uh, you know i said do you want to come here or do you want me to bring her to you what would you prefer so she said well i'd rather you brought her here kate no problem so i <clears throat> hook onto the trailer this is all happening at night too by the way i hook onto the trailer and i pull my my cattle trailer out of the snowbank and i i didn't know it at the time but i snapped two u-bolts off one of the axles when i pulled it out of the snow it was frozen down but I didn't notice and back it up and get the cow loaded, which was a rodeo, absolute rodeo. She did not want to get onto that trailer. Make a long story short, I get her loaded. I pull up to the front of my front of my yard where I've got a bit of a floodlight there and I get looking at my trailer and I'm like, what the hell is going on with this trailer? And yeah, sure enough, I've got one axle riding on the other one. Get crawl underneath there. Yep, snapped off two U-bolts pulling this trailer out. So then I'm in this predicament, my friends. I'm... Uh, <clears throat> I've got a, a cow in labor loaded on the trailer um, and I've got to get her, I, I basically have to get her to a place where either the vet can come to me or the, or the, uh, or I can, I can do this myself. So I phone up a really good neighbor 
and I, and I explained my situation and I took the cow over there and we, uh, we got her unloaded and got her inside in the maternity pen. And then once she was there, she completely relaxed my friends there. She once, once we, uh, had her in the maternity pen and she seen that there was other cows in there that had a few calves, she completely relaxed and we were able to get those back feet up and we got the calf pulled and the calf was still alive. And, uh, we were pretty, pretty, you know, I was pretty ecstatic. So we let her out and, uh, and uh, yeah, she takes to the calf and she's uh, looking like she's going to clean and I get looking and there's another nose poking out. <laughs> she's got twins. So this poor cow, we get her loaded back into the maternity pen or into the chute and uh, <clears throat> yeah, this calf is coming, but it's ba- both front feet are back. So I got to, I got to get in there and get, get its front feet forward. And then she has it on its own and both, both babies are doing fine. But to make a, basically to what I'm trying to explain here is, uh, with my cows calving about three weeks early and, um, just the hectic schedule that I normally keep, it's been really difficult to get in here. So every now and then you will, there will be gaps in the shows, especially during calving season. It just makes it incredibly difficult. So I just wanted to explain that to you guys. So you understood that it wasn't due to a lack of effort. It's just my time is being used. Like all of it is being used in other avenues. So Okay, my friends, what we're going to do today is we're going to, we've got a bunch of clips. We're going to cover this, uh, the Canadian media is going absolutely crazy over some comments that were uh, made during the uh, Election Interference Commission. We'll cover that. Um, We've got um, the American media going absolutely berserk. American media and politicians over Tucker Carlson. Um, And we've got some messages from um, Dr. Coleman that I kind of want to get through. And then... um, Basically, I want to kind to kind of show what you guys are probably aware of, but there's a really good article that we're going to go through uh, that's showing how the WHO is uh, getting their one world government in through the health system. So that's kind of what the show it's going to be a going to be a a pretty jam packed show. But let's uh, let's open with this one. This comes to us from BizaPost. This wasn't covered by the mainstream media at all. So to actually get this information, you had to go to non mainstream media. And the title of this one reads: "The View." settles with written houses for 22 million and a formal apology <laughs> this was written on march 2nd and it doesn't give an author abc's the view will compose a written apology to kyle rittenhouse and his mother wendy rittenhouse and deliver it along with a check for 22 million the rittenhouse's rittenhouse's spokesperson joe Barron says the settlement didn't take long and wasn't very difficult Apparently, the show's producers have been eager to settle the matter to get away from all the bad press. In the past few months, a story after story about Whoopi Goldberg's suspensions and firings, along with reports of more than 11 lawsuits filed, have, show, have the show's team wondering if it's worth it at all. According to our records, the bulk of the attacks against The View come from, uh, from sites pretending to be right-wing propaganda when actually they're leftist trolls making fun of Trump supporters. None of the lawsuits have been true so far, but this one definitely is. <clears throat> the apology must include the words, Kyle Rittenhouse isn't a murderer at least four times, in, uh, according to a friend with insider knowledge, on, on several other matters. <clears throat> What I don't know is, is why the math is before the science, said our source, or what that even means. Our editors report that if math is before the science, most likely none of it will make any sense, meaning Rittenhouse is definitely coming out ahead on this one. God bless America. So there you go. Kyle Rittenhouse is your youngest, uh, <clears throat> shouldn't say youngest, but a very a new young millionaire uh, with his settlements from CNN and now The View. 
uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be set up for the rest of his life. <laughs> and by and he damn well should be with the way he was treated and the way the media attacked him after that. Like that, I still to this day, the, the kid kept his composure while being attacked by three armed assailants um, and fired from off his back, cleared a jam in his rifle and fired from off his back and, and neutralized the threat. Uh, one was a wife beater, one was a pedophile, and one was, what, a convicted rapist? Is that how it went? Crazy how you can throw a stone into uh, a group of uh, leftist activists and find people like that. Isn't that odd? Anyway, good for Kyle Rittenhouse. Let's get this show started, my friends. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Okay, welcome back, my friends. What I want to do first is I want to focus on uh, this complete debacle uh, that's going on in Canadian politics right now. So there's a commission uh, looking into election interference, and uh, MP Michael Cooper uh, basically kind of went at Melanie Jolie um, and and made a comment that realistically um, is not a big deal, in my honest-to-God opinion. Um, uh, let's, uh, what we'll do is we'll turn it over to, we're actually going to turn it over to C the CBC and we're going to listen to how they report this. Uh, and it's got all the clips of, of all the liberal females that just go, that just get up in arms. They get their panties in a bunch over this. Um, let's turn it over to CBC. Um, we'll try and take as much of this as this as we possibly can. I'm sure this will absolutely blow my top, but let's, uh, let's see what they got to say about this and we'll comment about it afterwards. What was supposed to be testimony on Chinese interference today descended into acrimony. Two federal ministers appeared before a House of Commons committee to take questions on how they're handling the series of allegations recently leaked to the media. 
It all spiraled after Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie recounted what she said to her Chinese counterpart about the matter last week. I was extremely clear. I looked at him in the eyes and said to him, first, we will never tolerate any form of foreign interference in, inter you know, in our democracy and internal affairs. You've talked tough with your uh, Beijing counterpart, so you say uh, you even stared into his eyes. I'm sure he was very intimidated. So that's, that's the comment. That's the comment that uh, they're all up in arms over uh, by Michael Cooper. Um, you stared into his eyes. I'm sure he was really intimidated. Now, yeah, it's a, it's a cheap shot. It is a cheap shot. Like, he's taking a shot at her. But, uh, like, I mean, you, you, let's just listen to the response to this from the liberal females on this commission, because this is going to make you puke. I think he owes this committee and the minister in particular an apology and I am really sick and tired of sitting in here having to listen to it. I am sick and tired of Canadians having to see it. I believe a minister has a position of power regardless of gender or identity and that should be respected and I'm sure that internationally it is and I think it's shameful that that was even said in this place. When then Prime Minister Stephen Harper confronted Vladimir Putin and said, get out of Ukraine. Did that member opposite say, was he tough enough? That was completely unacceptable. Unacceptable behavior for every woman that has ever taken her place in this house. Yeah, there's a lot of things around this place that make me puke in my mouth often. So it's really unfortunate. We can be better than this. So <clears throat> what's happening here is um, what, uh, what they're doing is they're looking for any opening this is this is my opinion, obviously. So the, what they're they're not dumb, well they kind of are, but the what they're doing is they're looking for any opening that they can exploit to take the focus off the fact that the liberals have been caught red-handed taking money from Beijing, is what this is. Let's um, let's see how CBC covers this. Let's let's just carry on with the coverage a little bit here. Okay, before all of that, we did learn that the Liberal government denied a diplomatic visa just last fall for someone they call a Chinese political operative. Minister Jolie was asked why Canada hasn't done more, like expel Chinese diplomats. When we take that decision, it has an impact on us also in China. For any expulsion, there is an expulsion afterwards for, uh, uh, of us in China. And right now, our biggest challenge is to understand how China operates, how they plan, how they work. And I believe profoundly in the importance of diplomacy in our diplomats. This hour, MPs on that parliament. So, <clears throat> it's, uh, <clears throat> I don't think it's worth going, going through any more of the CBC coverage because it's probably just gonna make me mad. But, um, <clears throat> so, There's always been, um, you know, there's always going to be males that talk down to women. There's always going to be that, that uh, you know, a bit of discrimination. There's always going to be that. But this, personally, this is, this is a person just taking a cheap shot at another person. This wasn't sexually driven. This wasn't um, uh, any, any way, uh, in my opinion, he's just trying to rattle her cage uh, to get her to slip up. So... <clears throat> this reaction from the media and the politicians and making this big scene it's all just to try and distract from the fact that the liberals got caught red-handed red-handed um <clears throat> taking money from from uh 
the Communist Chinese Party and uh, and and having them help and collaborate with the Liberals to uh, maintain a mi- minority government. Like the Conservatives won. When you actually include the fact that they uh, didn't count all the uh, mail-in ballots from overseas, uh, Elections Canada. You guys remember that Elections Canada came out and said, "Oh yeah, by the way, we didn't uh, we didn't count all the mail-in ballots from overseas, which would be a bulk majority of them would be our military votes." And uh, I forget what the margin, the win margin was, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that the actual mail-in ballots that Elections Canada came out and ad- admitted that they hadn't even counted in the last election would have was actually bigger than the mar- uh, the win margin. So we already knew that the election was completely fucked uh, in the last round in 2021, but now we know that the C- Chinese Communist Party had its uh, dirty dick beaters in on 2019 as well. They were promoting uh, liberal liberal MPs, helping liberal MPs defeat conservative MPs. Now, I'm not completely naive. I understand that the Communist Chinese Party also funded conservative MPs. And every single person that took money from China should be immediately fired. Immediately, including Trudeau, because his foundation took 200000 I don't think that's too much to ask. Do you think that's too much to ask? Every MP that had uh, the Communist Chinese Party helping them get elected also needs to be removed. That's that's how you would do this in a sane world. You t- oh, you took bribes from the uh, the Chinese Communist Party. You're done. That's it. But Trudeau stands up in the House of and the House of Commons and pretends that it's all good, which is like and actually goes on the attack. It's it's so sickening. Let's listen to a little bit of this back and forth between Pierre Paul, Paul Olivier and, and uh, Justin Trudeau because it's, it's you know, you've, we've seen this since he's been in power, but this time they've got him. They've got him by the fucking balls. And the way he responds, like a, like a, a, a little child, you got to hear this. He's not interested in protecting the safety of the people serving this country. He's interested in protecting the Liberal Party of Canada. The question, the question was how much his party got in illegal donations funneled from Beijing. I've asked the question twice now. He refuses to answer it. He distracts and now claims that he can't tell it because it would harm national security. Give me a break. It would harm his political career. Why doesn't he tell us how much the Liberal Party or its various arms received in money from Beijing? How much? Mr. Speaker, it is unfortunate and despicable that any member in this House uh, would question the loyalty to Canada of any other member in this House. I understand the very real concerns that Canadians feel about foreign interference, and that's why we've created mechanisms to keep Canadians safe. But to suggest that anyone in this House isn't devoted to serving Canadians and keeping those who serve Canada in dangerous positions safe, safe is quite disgusting. Sit the fuck down and shut the fuck up, you fucking treasonous cunt. Sorry. <laughs> I just had to add that in there. Like, what, what dream world? What delusional dream world do these fucking liberals live in? You got caught red-handed. You got caught fucking red-hand, red-handed. The Trudeau Foundation took $200,000 from a, a, a Chinese donor, and the, the donor was uh, reimbursed from the uh, Communist Chinese Party. Red-handed. You paid it back? Too late. It doesn't matter. You're done. In a, in a normal world, this is how we would react to this, my friends. You're, you're finished. Spool your rags. Get the fuck out. You're skidded. 
But how is this going to go? Well, the RCMP aren't going to do anything about it. CSIS isn't going to do anything about it. Our military's not going to do anything about it. So we get to watch this fucking charade play out. Let's carry on with this. Leader of the opposition. Mr. Speaker, no drama lesson will distract from the question that I asked. The question, the question was very clear. How much did the Liberal Party get in donations directed from Beijing? I've asked it multiple times. I find it incredible that he can't stand up and answer with a zero. Totally. I mean, if he knows for sure it didn't happen, if he's not been briefed to the contrary, he would say so right now. Yeah. But he's dodging the question. He's trying to engage in a drama, dramatic distraction. So I will give him one more chance. Answer the question, how much money did his party get from the dictatorship in Bing? Yeah. Beijing? leader of the opposition trying to backtrack from his heinous and disgusting accusations of disloyalty to Canada of anyone in this house. And I'm pleased to see him back off from what was an absolutely despicable partisan approach. Uh, but it does go to the point that Canadians need to have confidence that the answers uh, that they are seeking on foreign interference and on the integrity of our democratic institutions are being dealt with by experts. Now, there's two ways of doing that. One is by making sure the partisans and politicians of all parties get classified briefings on that, which the NSI cop does. And the other is to make sure independent experts. The honorable member for. So just just dodges it like they don't, they've never since they've been in power, have never actually answered a question ever. Not once. Not once. And he gets up and puts on this theatric that uh, that the the that Pierre is is accusing people of of not having Canadians' best interest in mind. Like, shut up! Just shut up! We are so done with this clown. So done with him. Like, he needs to be removed. Oh, not only removed, he needs to be arrested and tried. As you guys know, how I feel about that. Anyway, speaking of uh, speaking of. Basically, the truth being attacked by psycho leftists. Let's let's uh, go south of the line and let's pay attention to what's happening to Tucker Carlson. Now, this all started when uh, Tucker Carlson uh, received forty-one thousand hours of footage from January sixth um, uh, from, I believe, uh, whistleblower at the FBI, and they found that the fact that the you know the Q QAnon shaman was actually um, was escorted around by police. There's footage of it the whole time. Of him being escorted around, let's let's listen to the clip that's got the American uh, politicians, the left wing, up in arms uh, over Tucker Carlson, and then we'll uh, we'll listen to the response from uh, Chuck Schumer. And the media was even worse. The media, the media, once the, once they seen that the politicians were reacting the way they were, the media just ran with it. These our two countries are identical with the brainwashing and uh, the corruption from the left and and the ties. How the the media and the and the left wing or the leftists, the fascists that masquerade as left wings in both countries uh, are completely tied at, attached at the hip. And it's the same in both countries. So let's uh, let's listen to the clip from Tucker first and then we'll listen to the response and we'll comment comment afterwards. The real crime, they will tell you again and again, is not what happened on Election Day 2020. The real crime is what happened two months later on January 6th when Donald Trump led an insurrection against the duly elected American government. To prove that claim and to divert attention from the details of the presidential election itself, Democrats in Congress impaneled what they called the House Select Committee on the January 6th attack. 
The point of that committee was to prevent Donald Trump from running for president again. In December of last year, committee members voted unanimously to refer Trump to the Department of Justice for criminal prosecution, mission accomplished. But what the committee did not do was explain what happened inside the Capitol on January 6th. Three weeks ago, thanks to the new Republican Speaker's Office, we gained access to thousands of hours of surveillance video that helped answer that question. The January 6th committee had access to this very same tape and watched much of it. But as we're about to show you, committee members lied about what they saw and then hid the evidence from the public as well as from January 6th criminal defendants and their lawyers. That is unforgivable. Whatever you think of Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he rectified that crime and we are grateful that he did. Before we show you the tape, a few words on the process. Our producers had unfettered access to the Capitol surveillance video. Neither the Speaker's office nor our bosses at Fox News interfered in any way with our investigation. Of the 40,000 or so hours of tape, most of it turned out to be irrelevant. Static shots of empty rooms, in some cases far from the Capitol itself. To find relevant videotape, our producers were given use of Capitol computers with advanced mapping software that made it easy to find what we were looking for. What we didn't have was access to facial recognition software, and that was significant. For more than two years, we have wondered why some in the crowd that day who seemed to be inciting violence were never indicted for it. We assumed these were federal agents of some sort. We still assume that. And in fact, there were many examples of behavior we saw in those tapes that didn't seem to make sense. Men in civilian clothes holding doors open for protesters, escorting others through the Capitol, etc. We would love to know who these people were. But as of tonight, we don't know. And because we don't know, we're not going to put their faces on the screen and suggest they were federal agents. That would be irresponsible. So there were many mysteries we could not solve. Among them, unfortunately, is the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. From the evidence we have, the publicly available evidence, it seems clear that Babbitt was murdered by a Capitol Hill police officer called Michael Byrd. Ashley Babbitt was unarmed. She was shorter in stature than average. She posed no conceivable threat to anyone. But beyond that, we can only speculate about what happened. There were no security cameras near the speaker's lobby where Ashley Babbitt was killed. And one more thing. Virtually no one in Washington, Republican or Democrat, certainly not in the news media, wanted to see this tape released tonight. That's why it's remained hidden for more than two years. In recent weeks, the usual hyenas in Congress and on cable news have been howling about we are putting lives at risk by showing this tape to the public. Given that these are the very same people who support open borders and defunding the police, it is hard to take their complaints seriously. But we do take security seriously. So before airing any of this video, we checked first with the Capitol Police. We're happy to say their reservations were minor, and for the most part, they were reasonable. In the end, the only change that we made was in blurring the details of a single interior door in the Capitol building. You're unlikely even to notice it when we show you, and we are confident it does not affect our reporting. With that, here is the video. It doesn't answer every question from January 6th, far from it. But it does prove beyond doubt that Democrats in Congress, assisted by Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, lied about what happened that day. They are liars. That is conclusive. And that fact should prevent them from ever being taken seriously again. We're gonna begin tonight with footage that shows you what was actually happening inside the Capitol. The footage does not show an insurrection or a riot in progress. Instead, it shows police escorting protesters through the building, including the now infamous QAnon shaman. Watch. 
These are the pictures you've seen of January 6th. They're familiar because they've been playing on a loop on every media outlet in America for the last two years. There's a reason for that. But it turns out there's quite a bit of video you haven't seen. And that video tells a very different story about what happened on January 6th. More than 40,000 hours of surveillance footage from in and around the Capitol have been withheld from the public. And once you see the video, you'll understand why. Taken as a whole, the video record does not support the claim that January 6th was an insurrection. In fact, it demolishes that claim. And that's exactly why the Democratic Party and its allies in the media prevented you from seeing it. By controlling the images you were allowed to view from January 6th, they controlled how the public understood that day. They could lie about what happened, and you would never know the difference. Those lies had a purpose. They created a pretext for a federal crackdown on opponents of the Uniparty in Washington. Our office wanted to ensure that there was shock and awe that we could charge as many people as possible. The first thing you notice from viewing the full video record of January 6th is just how many people entered the Capitol building that day. Hundreds and hundreds of people, possibly thousands, over the course of about two hours. The crowd was enormous. A small percentage of them were hooligans. They committed vandalism. You've seen their pictures again and again. But the overwhelming majority weren't. They were peaceful. They were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. Footage from inside the Capitol overturns the story you've heard about January 6th. Protesters queue up in neat little lines. They give each other tours outside the speaker's office. They take cheerful selfies and they smile. They're not destroying the Capitol. They obviously revere the Capitol. They're there because they believe the election was stolen from them. They believe in the system. Here's the man you've heard referred to as the QAnon shaman outside the Senate chamber. These are not rioters. These are people who wandered over from a political rally. We will not let them silence your voices. After the rally, they walked down Pennsylvania Avenue, where organizers had secured a federal permit to hold a legal rally on the grounds of the Capitol. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Once at the Capitol building, things began to get chaotic. Capitol police officers fired tear gas into the crowd. A few at the front of the herd broke windows. Someone opened the doors and many hundreds of others just walked in. We're gonna make that the story. Of course, they did make it the story. And at the center of it, the single most famous person arrested that day was a Navy veteran from Arizona called Jacob Chansley, often referred to as the QAnon shaman. The so-called QAnon shaman. QAnon shaman. Someone named Q shaman. Jacob Chansley became the face of January 6th, a dangerous conspiracy theorist dressed in outlandish costume who led the violent insurrection to overthrow American democracy. For these crimes, Chansley was sentenced to nearly four years in prison, far more time than many violent criminals now receive. What did Jacob Chansley do to receive this punishment? To this day, there is dispute over how Chansley got into the Capitol building. But according to our review of the internal surveillance video, it is very clear what happened once he got inside. Virtually every moment of his time inside the Capitol was caught on tape. The tapes show that Capitol Police never stopped Jacob Chansley. They helped him. They acted as his tour guides. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Capitol Police officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. 
we counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the Senate. Watch. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for paying the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building. Contrast the reality of what Jacob Chansley did in the Capitol building on January 6th, the indisputable facts recorded on video, some of which has never before been seen, with the depiction of Jacob Chansley that you've seen in the media for more than two years. He's a terrorist, they said. He should be killed. Shoot him. Shoot him. Like, if it, you burst into the United States, if he was dressed like bin Laden, would you have shot him? Shoot him. Shoot him. It makes you wonder, who are the violent extremists here? Not Jacob Chansley. And the video proves that. But you would never have known from the media coverage. The people sitting in the chairs need to be sitting in a jail cell. Chansley is in a jail cell. He's been there for months. If he was, in fact, committing such a grave crime, why didn't the officers who were standing right next to him place him under arrest? Until now, no one could even prove that even happened. But it did. So that's the clip that Tucker did on, jeez, uh, <clears throat> when that when was that? That was March sixth, and then uh, then the politicians and the media absolutely went up in arms over it. And uh, we're only going to focus on Chuck Schumer I, um, because you guys have probably all already seen this, but. I just want to I just want to show you where it started, and then the media ran with it. So we'll let's we'll listen to uh, this goof of a politician that probably isn't legitimately elected either. These lies continue tonight. Rupert Murdoch, who has admitted they were lies and said he regretted it, has a special obligation to stop Tucker Carlson from going on tonight. Now that he's seen how he is perverted and slimed the truth and from letting them go on again and again and again. Not because their views deserve such a program, but because our democracy depends on it. So that's where it all started. It started from politicians that basically got, they just got caught. Just like Trudeau, just like up here, they got caught lying. They got caught lying about something that uh, has had people in jail ever since. For, for years now, people have been in jail over this. Basically political prisoners. So what, what's the, how do they react? They react just like Trudeau does up, up here. They, they throw temper tantrums. And then their media, their bought and paid for media, runs, runs along with them. And goes on the attack. <clears throat> the fact remains, like this, Tucker was very um, thorough in explaining how they went through it how the the security protocols that they went they went through uh these are unaltered uh videos you can watch them like this QAnon shaman is is being escorted all the way around the capitol building by the capitol police like there's no even says a prayer for him like you heard like there was no we've known all along that this wasn't an insurrection that the that the it's the same thing they did with the trucker convoy up here calling it an occupation they used a specific language uh to create legal avenues to shut things down when in reality they're lying they're lying about the whole thing i'm not surprised by it neither are you but i just kind of wanted to highlight that in this show the fact that uh, you know how they manipulate language 
to create legal avenues to shut down free uh, actual rightful protests. <clears throat> calling them occupations, calling them insurrections. Without the language, they can't use the law. That's why they use it that way. Okay, my friends, we're going to switch gears here. We're going to turn it over to Dr. Vernon Coleman. He has a message to the jabbed. Um, <clears throat> as you guys know, I like this old boy. I like how he's kind of covered this, and he's, he's been telling the truth right from the beginning. So it'll be interesting to hear um, what kind of message he has for the people that bought, bought into the narrative. So let's turn it over to Dr. Coleman so we can hear what he's got to say. 2023, and this is video 324. Congratulations if you've watched all of them, though there's no prizes, I'm afraid. Maybe we'll all have badges if I ever get to 500. The bad news, I'm afraid, is that anyone you know who allowed themselves to be jabbed with a fake pseudo-vaccine, which was fraudulently promoted to prevent people catching or spreading COVID-19, the rebranded flu, well, I'm afraid the evidence strongly suggests that they're more vulnerable than those who were not jabbed. In many, many respects, we must now regard the vaxxed as members of a different species. We have no idea what the long-term consequences will be, but it's absurd not to think that there will be long-term consequences. Official figures show that the triple jabbed made up 92% of COVID deaths and the mortality rate in 2022 was lowest among those who had rejected the lethal jabs. If you've had a jab or someone you know has had a jab, then their circulatory system, including their heart, may be adversely affected. They'll be more likely to get infections, more likely to develop cancer, or if they've had cancer, more likely to develop metastases, and their brain may be affected. They may not have known all that because the truth has been suppressed by the medical establishment, which was bought lock, stock and syringe by the pharmaceutical industry and by the mainstream media, which was bought by your government. When advertising dried up during the lockdowns, government spent huge amounts of taxpayers' money placing propaganda ads in the media and kept newspapers and TV stations alive. Later in this video, I'll give some simple practical advice for those who were tricked into accepting one or more COVID-19 jabs. Now that the truth is out that the COVID jab doesn't stop transmission of the rebranded flu, but can cause a wide range of serious and deadly health problems, the, jab, the jabbed are justifiably angry. They're angry that they were tricked and threatened into accepting a dangerous and experimental jab with unknown long-term consequences, and they're angry that their health's been compromised. They were repeatedly told by health experts in the mainstream media that the jab was safe and effective. But then, when countless millions had rolled up their sleeves, they were told, whoops, fooled you, the jab doesn't actually really stop you getting COVID-19 or spreading it if you do get it. More and more people are beginning to realise that they were lied to. Many are directing their anger at the medical profession for failing to provide a proper warning. I agree with them that more doctors should have found the courage to speak out and not anonymously. But although there were a number of us offering warnings, we were suppressed and banned by the mainstream media. I spoke out about the dangers of the jab long before the jabbing began, but the mainstream media banned me and scoffed at me. Wikipedia and Google spread lies. They did it so that no one would listen. I went from a best-selling author with pub books published in 26 languages, a TV presenter, national newspaper columnist, to being a blogger, self-publisher and discredited conspiracy theorist. 
references from my novels were even removed from internet pages out of spite, I assume, and lies appeared everywhere. The people the jabbed should blame fall into two groups. The doctors who gave the jab without doing a little research and without telling their patients the truth, and the mainstream media who suppressed the truth and published lies, in particular the foremost evil propaganda units of modern times, Google, YouTube, Wikipedia and the BBC. The staff of these wretched discredited organisations are all mass murderers as far as I'm concerned for their part in suppressing the truth and demonising the truth-tellers. I had one of the fastest growing young YouTube channels in early 2020, never monetized, incidentally, when after just months I was banned from putting up videos which told the truth about the COVID-19 fraud. Eventually, even though I wasn't putting up videos they didn't like, they took down the channel anyway and banned me from ever having a new channel or from looking at anyone else's channel. They did this simply to stop people hearing the truth. In the summer of 2020, I published endless videos and articles on brand new tube and my websites warning that according to the Federal Drug Administration in the United States, a long list of short-term side effects were linked to the COVID-19 jab. Because the jabs were experimental, no one knew what the medium or long-term effects might be. I repeatedly warned, and this is in 2020, that warned, and this is in 2020, that according to the FDA, the COVID-19 jab could cause strokes, heart attack, myocarditis, autoimmune disease, pregnancy problems, allergy problems, clots, convulsions and deaths. All this information was available before doctors started injecting people. The mainstream media didn't just ignore these side effects and deny that they existed, they also suppressed anyone trying to tell the truth. Lie after lie was told on TV and in the rest of the mainstream press. None of this was much of a surprise because the authorities were desperate to hide the truth. For years the mainstream media has been demonising those who opposed or questioned vaccination. The BBC announced that it wouldn't allow anyone questioning vaccination onto any of their programmes. Right or wrong, they said. They boasted they wouldn't allow the truth on the BBC. Five years or more before the rollout, they started putting defibrillators up in town centres to make sudden heart attacks appear normal. Today, sudden adult death syndrome is commonplace and media doctors compete to find bizarre excuses for it. Doctors and journalists pretend that daily unexpected deaths are normal. The one cause they never blame? The Covid jab. Doctors are still injecting healthy people with the COVID-19 jab, the most deadly pharmaceutical product in history. It doesn't do what they said it would do, but it does do what I said it would do. It kills people. Doctors knew before they started to give the jabs that the pseudo-vaccine would cause heart problems, strokes, blood clots and so on and so on. They knew, or should have known, because I certainly knew the dangers long before they started jabbing. They knew, and yet they deliberately went ahead. It was their professional and legal responsibility to know that these jabs would cause numerous serious problems. Any doctor who did not know exactly what he or she was injecting into people is also guilty of a massive crime against her or his patients. And if doctors and nurses didn't warn the poor souls they were jabbing of the serious side effects, then they were in breach of every ethical code in existence including the Hippocratic Oath, which famously includes the line, 
first do no harm. Sadly, but not surprisingly, of course, the General Medical Council in the UK got rid of the Hippocratic Oath because they said it was too old-fashioned. Actually, when you look at everything that's happened, it's clear that they knew years ago what they were planning when they started up putting started putting up defibrillators in public places. Now, of course, no school would dare not have a defibrillator fixed to the wall. They probably have them in junior and infant schools. They need them in nursery schools for the teachers too, of course. Every day they seem to dream up more reasons for people to have the jab. The latest ploy is to say that those who aren't jabbed are more likely to get type 2 diabetes. If that's true, do you know why it is? There's two reasons. First, the jab screws up your blood sugar, and if you get jabbed, you're probably going to get type 1 diabetes, which is much more deadly. And then there's the fact that the jab has killed so many. It reminds me of some daft researcher who claimed that smokers were less likely to get Alzheimer's disease. Researchers got terribly excited. There was talk of everyone being encouraged to smoke, because it was true. But and they are less likely to get Alzheimer's. The snag, which I spotted and the researchers didn't, is that smokers are more are mostly dead before they reach the sort of age when Alzheimer's usually develops. The truth is that the vaccinators were very well paid to help sustain the lie. They got their huge fees through fraud and deception. I'd arrest anyone who ever worked for Pfizer or any of the evil blood-soaked greedy organizations. I'd been writing about their fraud for decades and I'd arrest all those who promoted, endorsed, defended and gave the damned Covid jabs. Since the whole vaccine fraud was built on lies, I can't help wondering why the deal the drug companies negotiated at the insistence of their cheerleader Bill Gates would stand up in a court of law, in the unlikely event that you could ever find an honest court of law, of course. Everyone involved in that fraud, drug companies, regulators, advisers, doctors and journalists, should be legally liable though I realise that justice is not something of which the conspirators approve and is not, therefore, going to be available for the time being. I promised some advice for those who were tricked or frightened into being jabbed with which I firmly believe is the most toxic pharmaceutical product ever produced. I don't think any drug in history has caused anywhere near as many deaths or injuries. First, you need to boost your immune system to protect yourself against infection. If you want practical information, take a look at my book, Superbody. Second, you need to avoid strenuous activity which might put your heart under too much strain. Just look at the number of super-fit professional athletes who've collapsed after being jabbed. If you really think those were all just coincidences, then I can't help you and nor can anyone else. You also need to ex you avoid excess stress because too much stress can put a strain on your heart. Third, get your heart tested to see what, if any, damage has been done. Fourth, have your blood pressure checked. Fifth, have your blood glucose checked. Sixth, have your blood checked for clotting risks. Seventh, get your kidneys checked to make sure everything is okay. Doctors may complain about this extra work, but they gave the jabs and were well paid for doing so. So now they have a responsibility to be prepared for help to help. There are inevitably all sorts of people out there flogging magical remedies which are supposed to protect you against problems caused by the jab. I'm afraid I don't know yet of anything which I'd recommend. We need to stay alert. The latest danger is that they're planning to make it a crime to tell the truth about vaccines of all kinds or about global warming. Telling the truth is going to be a war crime branded as terrorism and a crime against humanity.
Please watch my friend, my good friend Colin Barron's wonderful videos, often educational, always entertaining. And please look at my websites, vernoncolman.com and vernoncolman.org, where there's new material most days, and share what you find with everyone on social media. So now you know why I like Dr. Coleman so much. He's uh, <clears throat> he's a no-nonsense old Brit that uh, just kind of tells it as it is. So there's really nothing more I can add to that. Um, <clears throat> Other than the fact that I, I do believe that there are alternative treatments that will help, um, will help the jabbed, along with uh, along with everybody that's been exposed to the jab, especially within the first 40, 48 hours. Now that we are well aware that shedding is real, um, and it's uh, through uh, through breath and and uh, bodily fluids, so. Uh, there's a big, very good chance that the bulk majority majority of us have been exposed to the spike proteins one way or another, along with everything else that's in this this garbage shot. So, as you know, there's ivermectin and, and uh, chlorine dioxide, uh, both of which I would recommend uh, a person to use kind of on a... Uh, a, day, a, a monthly, weekly, even daily basis for your own personal health. Um, <clears throat> But we've gone over that in in nauseam on this show, so we don't need to get into it again. So what I want to do next, we're going to shift gears again, because everybody's kind of focusing on, you know, the digital IDs. Alberta's uh, Danielle Smith signed on to digital IDs. Broke my heart. Absolutely broke my heart to see that. Yeah. So to get to basically in Alberta now to get a even a fire permit, you got to sign up for a digital ID. When you go to renew your license, you're going to have to sign up for a digital ID. Uh, probably renew your health card. You're going to need to uh, sign up for your digital ID. They're, they're going to do it on everything. So it'll be interesting to see what the Albertans do because they've just figured it out, um, and they're just starting to get the word out now. So Danielle Smith just fucking shot herself in the foot. Um, that was a bad move on her part. Very bad move. She was, she was so, she had so much promise. Uh, I, I thought she was, and I still will like her for other avenues because she fights for, you know, the, the independence of the West and everything like that. But she's, she just, she just made a huge error. Huge. We're seeing, we're seeing the politicians that we, uh, we have some little bit of faith in, uh, all make some big errors like Pierre Paulivier. Uh, with the uh, Christine Anderson stuff, he he made a huge error there. Just pretended that he didn't. Um, but there's a lot of us that were like, "Ooh, bad move, buddy, bad move." But honestly, like, and now you you've got people exposing that his wife has. Uh, she was at the on the board of Switch, um, which was selling the COVID tests, uh, and she was working with someone that is a WEF associate. Well, I don't know. You know, that's kind of a stretch. Uh, this is coming from Chris Skye. Um, I, when you're at the top level of business anywhere in the world, you are going to end up rubbing elbows and shoulders with people that are connected or are subsidiaries of the WEF. There's just really no no other way to, to talk about that. It's like it reminds me of that. Um, you know how there's those Trump haters that always post that picture of, of uh, Trump and Epstein and they somehow thought that that was evidence that the two were in cahoots? It, it's, it reminds me of that. Like, so because she worked in a place where one of these people was, she is now guilty. I'm not, I'm not naive. Maybe there is a connection there, but it's kind of a stretch, right? And honestly, if you had the, if you had the ability to profit exponentially off of COVID, would you? Like we're talking to the tune of multi-millions. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to do it? 
So I don't know. It's a capitalist thought. And I know a lot of people that's discouraging a lot of people about Polyvier, but uh, for me, it's a reach. Um, We'll see. And I might be sounding naive to a lot of you. I know this is a very hot, hot topic. Um, but even with his wife um, working with someone that has WEF connections, it's not as bad as Maxine Bernier willingly going to, da- to Davos. That's on the, the Canadian government website that he went. He was a representative for, for the Canadian government to Davos. At least once. At least once, if not before. And don't forget that uh, Maxine Bernier's dad did exactly what he did. He became a turncoat and split the right vote. So you got two generations doing the exact same thing. So me personally, I have zero faith in Maxine Bernier. Zero. I think he's he's doing exactly what his dad did for for Pierre Trudeau. He's splitting the vote, and that's that's maintaining power for the left. That's my opinion. I I cannot vote for the uh, the PPC as long as he's at as long as he's at the helm. I just do not. I don't want any part of him. I'm sorry. And that might piss a lot of people off, but I just can't. Anybody that willingly willingly went to Davos, nope, not down with it. Okay, let's let's switch gears here. We're going to run a little bit over in this show, but I want to I want to basically focus on how they are uh, how they're kind of getting the one world government in. Uh, you've seen it now in Alberta. Uh, they're doing it through healthcare, uh, and this is this is kind of going to tie into it. Um, <clears throat> This article comes to us by way of the expose, and the title reads, Dictators at WHO aim to begin installing one-world government under the guise of global health security. This is by Rhoda Wilson, and it was uh, written on March 10th today. And uh, it's got a read-along, so we'll let it, uh, we'll let it read to us, and uh, we will talk about it afterwards. Dictators at WHO aim to begin installing a one-world government under the guise of global health security. WHO's pandemic treaty will radically alter the global power structure and strip you of some of your most basic rights and freedoms. It's a direct attack on the sovereignty of its member states, as well as a direct attack on your bodily autonomy. The second attack by WHO on your sovereignty is the proposed IHR amendments that will establish a global biosecurity architecture involving health surveillance, reporting and management, and we the public have no say in the matter. Hashtag stop the treaty, hashtag stop the amendments, and hashtag exit there who. On the 6th of February 2023, the World Health Organization, WHO, released a report by the Director General on WHO's review of amendments to the International Health Regulations, IHR. The IHR is what empowers WHO to declare a public health emergency of international concern, FIAC. The amendments will be ready for adoption at the World Health Assembly in May 2024. A simple majority is required for the amendments to be adopted, after which they'll come into force in 12 months. The second attempt to seize global control is through an international pandemic treaty with the WHO. The treaty would grant WHO the sole power to make decisions relating to global biosecurity, including but not limited to the implementation of a global vaccine passport-slash-digital identity, mandatory vaccinations, travel restrictions and standardized medical care. The treaty will supersede the laws of member states, including the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights. Republican senators have introduced a bill that would require a Senate supermajority to approve the WHO treaty, but even this may not be enough. We need Congress to withdraw the U.S. from WHO altogether and stop funding WHO. 
by Dr. Joseph Mercola, in the Children's Health Defense video below, aired the 11th of February 2023, host Dr. Merrill Nass interviews investigative journalist James Corbett about the global biosecurity agenda, the World Health Organization's mishandling of global pandemics, and the two parallel processes currently underway that will effectively create a one-world government of unelected bureaucrats under the guise of global biosecurity. In a nutshell, WHO is being installed as a de facto governing body for the global deep state. https colon slash slash rumble com slash embed slash v26 ears 6 slash question mark pub equals 4 Children's Health Defense, WHO's sordid history of so-called pandemics, the 11th of February 2023, 58 minutes, attack number 1, International Health Regulation Amendments. As reported by NAS, on the 6th of February 2023, WHO released a report by the Director General on WHO's review of amendments to the International Health Regulations, IHR. The IHR, adopted in 2005, is what empowers WHO to declare a public health emergency of international concern, FIAC. 1. This is a special legal category that allows WHO to initiate certain contracts and procedures, including drug and vaccine contracts. While the IHR already grants WHO exceptional power over global health policy, under the current rules, member states must voluntarily consent to WHO's recommendations. Under the new amendments, however, WHO would be able to declare a FIAC in a member state over the objection of that state, and failure to adhere to WHO's dictates in such a situation could have severe economic consequences. As a whole, the proposed IHR amendments establish a global biosecurity architecture involving health surveillance, reporting and management, and we the public have no say in the matter. We have no official avenue for providing feedback to the World Health Assembly, even though the amendments will give WHO unprecedented power to restrict our rights and freedoms in the name of biosecurity. There's not even a publicly available list of who the delegates are or who will vote on the amendments. All we currently know is that the amendments will be ready for adoption at the World Health Assembly in May 2024. Two a simple majority is required for the amendments to be adopted, after which they'll come into force in 12 months. Member nations that disagree with the amendments have only 10 months to file a rejection or reservation. Important IHR Amendments While more than 300 amendments to the IHR have been proposed, three and there's no telling which will stay and which will be tossed out, certain ones that are currently up for review are more crucial than others. Here are a few of the most egregious. 1. Permissiveness of conflicts of interest and bias is baked in. Under Article 9, WHO can declare a public health emergency based on information from undisclosed sources. Those sources could include Big Pharma, WHO funders such as the Gates Foundation and the Gates-founded and funded Gavi Alliance, or any number of other players with conflicts of interest. WHO's risk assessments will also be based on the same type of flawed modeling and prognostication that so grossly exaggerated the risk of COVID-19. 4. 2. Elimination of national sovereignty. Under Article 12, the Director General has unilateral power to declare a public health emergency and is not required to consult with the WHO Emergency Committee and or the member state before doing so. So, the Director-General replaces any and all national sovereign authority. 
the Director General can also impose sanctions on nations that refuse to follow its dictates. 5. 3. Expansion of situations that constitute a FIAC. A FIAC is currently defined as an extraordinary event in one country that constitutes a public health risk to other states through the international spread of disease and to potentially require a coordinated international response. Amendments seek to expand and broaden this definition to include things like clusters of infection with potential but unverified human-to-human -human transmission. The actual risks of such clusters need not even be evaluated. What's more, the proposed definition of a FIAC does not specify that it must involve severe or life-threatening disease, so it could be invoked for just about anything. One of the amendments also suggests giving the Director General the ability to declare an intermediate public health alert when the situation doesn't fully meet the FIAC criteria. In such an event, the Director General and or a regional WHO director would be able to declare a public health emergency of regional concern, FOC. 6. 4. Expansion of the WHO's executive emergency powers to include colon 7, permanent biosurveillance capacities. The authority to allocate health products worldwide. The authority to develop regulatory guidelines for the fast tracking of health products. The capacity to counter the dissemination of false and unreliable information about public health events, preventive strategies and pandemic countermeasures. The authority to develop an interoperability mechanism for secure global digital exchange of health information, i.e., a global health database to enable the implementation of vaccine passports. Once the amendments are adopted by the World Health Assembly, nations will have only a limited time, six months, to reject them. Any nation which hasn't officially rejected the amendments will then be legally bound by them, and any attempt to reject them after the six-month grace period will be null and void. Attack number two, the WHO Pandemic Treaty, the IHR amendments are just one part of the globalist cabal's two-pronged attempt to create the foundation for a one-world government of unelected globalists. The second attempt to seize global control is through an international pandemic treaty with WHO. Right now, it looks like the WHO pandemic treaty may also be ratified at the World Health Assembly in May 2024, if it gets the two-thirds majority it needs to pass. 8. 9. WHO is seeking permanent and unilateral power to make pandemic decisions for the world, and the proposed treaty is the vehicle that would allow this. It will grant WHO the sole power to make decisions relating to global biosecurity, including but not limited to the implementation of a global vaccine passport-slash-digital identity, mandatory vaccinations, travel restrictions and standardized medical care. Importantly, the treaty will supersede the laws of member states, including the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights. Who is corrupt and inept? Even if centralizing biosecurity were a good idea, which it's not, WHO would not be at the top of the list of organizations to be charged with this task, seeing how its curriculum vitae is a long list of failures and scandalous conflicts of interest. For example, WHO didn't publicly admit SARS-CoV-2 was airborne until the end of December 2021, Yet scientists knew the virus was airborne within weeks of the pandemic being declared. WHO also ignored early advice about airborne transmission. The fact that WHO has installed Dr. Jeremy Farrar, former head of the Wellcome Trust, 
as its chief scientist is yet another sign that WHO's health recommendations will be far from trustworthy. As previously reported, Farah was one of the key figures in the coordinated cover-up of the origin of SARS-CoV-2, 10 along with drive Anthony Fauci. Overall, WHO is woefully unqualified to make health decisions for the whole world. But with this treaty in place, member nations will be subject to WHO's dictates even if citizens have rejected such plans using local democratic processes. In short, every country that signs onto WHO's pandemic treaty will voluntarily give up its sovereignty and the bodily autonomy of all its citizens to one of the most corrupt organizations on the planet. As noted by Francis Boyle, a bioweapons expert and professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law, colon 11. Both, the IHR amendments and the treaty, are fatally dangerous. Either one or both would set up a worldwide medical police state under the control of the WHO, and in particular WHO Director General Tedros. If either one or both of these go through, Tedros or his successor will be able to issue orders that will go all the way down the pipe to your primary care physicians. The pandemic treaty is based on a flawed premise. Aside from the fact that this treaty will eradicate the national sovereignty of member states, a core problem is that it simply cannot work. The whole premise behind this pandemic treaty is that shared threat requires shared response, but a given threat is almost never equally shared across regions. Take COVID-19 for example. Not only is the risk of COVID not the same for people in New York City and the outback of Australia, it's not even the same for all the people in those areas, as COVID is highly dependent on age and underlying health conditions. WHO insists that the remedy is the same for everyone everywhere, yet the risks vary widely from nation to nation, region to region, person to person. They intend to eliminate individualized medicine and provide blanket rulings for how a given threat is to be addressed, and this can only result in needless suffering, not to mention the loss of individual freedom. The long-term plan, one-size-fits-all health care. Eventually, WHO will probably implement a universal or socialist-like healthcare system worldwide, as part of the Great Reset. While a WHO-based universal healthcare system is not currently being discussed, there's every reason to suspect that this is part of the plan. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus has previously stated that his central priority as Director General is to push the world toward universal health coverage. 12. And, considering WHO changed its definition of pandemic to a worldwide epidemic of a disease, 13. Without the original specificity of severe illness that causes high morbidity, 14. 15. Just about anything could be made to fit the pandemic criterion. As mentioned above, some of the IHR amendments also further broaden the scope of the situations in which a public health emergency might be applied. Sustainable goals will fall under WHO's purview. WHO's One Health Surveillance Initiative, which is part of the pandemic treaty, also signals where this is really headed. As explained by the Epoch Times colon 16, One Health is a concept that has been embraced by the United Nations, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Bank, and other global organizations. The term originally meant a way of seeing human and animal health as linked, they sometimes are, so that you could improve human health by acting more broadly, public health physician and former WHO epidemic policy staffer David Bell said. 
it has become hijacked and now is used to claim that all human activities, and all issues within the biosphere, affect health, and are therefore within public health's remit. So public health can be deemed to include climate, or racism, or fisheries management, and this is being used to claim that addressing carbon emissions is a health issue and therefore a health emergency. Redefining Human Rights The pandemic treaty is also redefining human rights into a set of collective rights that are centered on public health. The Epoch Times continues colon 17. The accord presents human rights as health equity, through resolute action on social, environmental, cultural, political and economic determinants of health. In line with that concept, countries such as Austria went so far as to criminalize the refusal to take the COVID vaccine. Within the United States, places that included New York City mandated vaccine passports for access to public spaces, dividing its residents into a privileged vaccinated class and a second-tier unvaccinated class. However, others see human rights not in terms of collective health but rather as individual rights, including such things as personal sovereignty, the ability of individuals to make their own choices, the right of people to have a voice in medical decisions that affect them, free speech, and freedom of movement and assembly. Following World War II and the state control ideologies of fascism, national socialism, and communism, it was realized that there has to be a fundamental understanding that individuals are sovereign, Bell said. Human rights declarations after the war emphasized that, even during times of crisis, we are born with rights, we're all equal, and those rights are inviolable. That is being very much watered down or wiped away in order to do this treaty. The Gateway to Global Totalitarianism It's important to realize that WHO's pandemic treaty will radically alter the global power structure and strip you of some of your most basic rights and freedoms. It's a direct attack on the sovereignty of its member states, as well as a direct attack on your bodily autonomy. The treaty is basically the gateway to a global, top-down totalitarian regime where human rights as we understand them will no longer exist. Biosecurity will be the justification for an international vaccine passport, which the G20 just signed on to, and that passport will also be your digital identification. That digital ID, in turn, will be tied to your social credit score, personal carbon footprint tracker, medical records, educational records, work records, social media presence, purchase records, your bank accounts and a programmable central bank digital currency, CBDC. Once all these pieces are fully connected, you'll be in a digital prison, and the ruling cabal, whether officially a one-world government by then or not, will have total control over your life from cradle to grave. WHO's pandemic treaty is what sets off this chain of events, as it will have the power to implement vaccine passports globally once the treaty is signed. WHO will also have the power to mandate vaccines, standardize medical care and issue travel restrictions. Can the U.S. Constitution be circumvented? As reported by the Epoch Times, 18 there's great confusion about whether or not the U.S. government can bind the country to treaties and agreements without the consent of the Senate, as required under the Constitution, and whether international accords can circumvent or supersede the Constitution. As currently written, there's no doubt both the IHR amendments and the pandemic treaty are intended to nullify the U.S. Constitution, as the U.S. would have to comply with WHO's recommendations, even if such recommendations violate constitutional rights. 
The Epoch Times reports colon 19. The Zero Draft concedes that, per international law, treaties between countries must be ratified by national legislatures, thus respecting the right of their citizens to consent. However, the draft also includes a clause that the accord will go into effect on a provisional basis as soon as it's signed by delegates to the WHO and would, therefore, be legally binding on members without being ratified by legislatures. Whoever drafted this clause knew as much about U.S. constitutional law and international law as I did, and deliberately drafted it to circumvent the power of the Senate to give its advice and consent to treaties, to provisionally bring it into force immediately upon signature, Boyle said. In addition, the Biden administration will take the position that this is an international executive agreement that the president can conclude of his own accord without approval by Congress and is binding on the United States of America, including all state and local democratically elected officials, governors, attorney generals, and health officials. Increasingly, the Biden administration is looking toward international agreements to do what it can't achieve through Congress. Most recently, having failed to increase corporate taxes in Congress, the Biden administration entered into an international agreement with the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD 20 to set minimum tax levels on all corporations within signatory countries. While Republican lawmakers said the agreement has no path forward toward approval as a treaty, Provisions written into the agreement allow foreign countries to tax U.S.-based corporate profits as a punitive measure if senators don't approve it. Senators introduce bill to require Senate approval. Fortunately, the U.S. Senate is not entirely clueless about the ramifications of this treaty, and 17 Republican senators, led by Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, have introduced a bill to thwart WHO's power grab. 21. The No WHO Pandemic Preparedness Treaty Without Senate Approval Act, 22 introduced the 15th of February 2023, would require a Senate supermajority, two-thirds or 67 senators, to pass the pandemic treaty. Additional sponsors of the bill include Chuck Grassley, Republican Iowa, Bill Haggerty, Republican Tennessee, John Basso, Republican Wyoming, Mike Lee, Republican Utah, Marsha Blackburn, Republican Tennessee, Rick Scott, Republican Florida, John Hoven, R.N. D. Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, Ted Cruz, Republican Texas, Steve Daines, Republican Montana, Tom Tillis, R.N. C. Tom Cotton, Republican Arkansas, Mike Braun, Republican Indiana, Tommy Tuberville, Republican Alabama, Roger Marshall, Akan, and Katie Britt. Republican Alabama Congress must withdraw U.S. from WHO. However, according to Boyle, 23 an expert on international laws and treaties, even this bill might not be enough to protect us for President Biden to sign the treaty. The reason for this, Boyle explains, is because the treaty is written specifically to circumvent the Senate approval process. A far more effective strategy, he says, would be for Congress to withhold its annual contributions to WHO, and then withdraw the U.S. from WHO altogether. I believe it may be worth supporting all of these strategies. So, please, contact your representatives and urge them to support the No WHO Pandemic Preparedness Treaty Without Senate Approval Act, to withhold funding for WHO and, ultimately, support U.S. withdrawal from WHO. So there's a little bit of time here uh, for us to stop this yet. Um, 
May 2024, but uh, we have to get loud and proud to all our MPs on the provincial and federal level and say, no, 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 no. This is not happening. Um, in Saskatchewan, we successfully stopped um, the digital ID for one year. Uh, the, me- uh, the medical funding will be reviewed in one year. They agreed to what, I think 67 million, something like that. Uh, for medical funding in Saskatchewan, um, so far, as far as I can tell, without the digital ID. But we are alone. We are a lone hill on this one, friends. It's looking like most of the provinces fell to this. And that's the first step in getting it. Getting it. They've got to get it through with the medical funding. So all of this ties together. That's why I'm, I'm kind of talking about this. So the fact that we did stop it initially for a year in Saskatchewan uh, doesn't mean that um, Scott Moe won't bow to his globalist masters and bring it through a back door. So people have to get, you've got to get, you've really got to get, um, you can't sit on your hands on this one. You've got to actually get active. You've got to write your provincial MPs. You've got to write your federal MPs and tell them, no, this is not going to happen. And uh, that's basically all we can do. Will they force it through? Um, very good chance. And if they do, then you've got to have more people that don't uh, c- comply. Peaceful non-compliance. That's, that's the only way that we're going to, to win this, my friends. So, yes, it's horrifying, but at the same time, we still have the power. Until this goes through, then we won't have any power or rights at all. And, you know, the article's a little bit wrong. Um, the, the American Constitution uh, is basically written in such a way that anything that, um, that doesn't go along with the Constitution or abide by the Constitution is actually null and void. So there's a lot of laws that the Americans could actually get rid of. Um, and the same is actually up here in Canada. Anything, anything that doesn't uh, abide by our Charter of Rights and Freedoms actually can be thrown out. Um, we do not, we are not legally bound, uh, to obey any, any rules that go against our charter of rights and freedoms, even though they make it seem like you are and mandates are mandates. They're not laws, but once the, once they get this through, they're going to manipulate language again so that they can use the law against you. Just like they did with, uh, just like they did with an insurrection, heavy air quotes, insurrection and in Canada, heavy air quotes, occupation. You know, they, they manipulate the language so that they can use the law against you is exactly what they do. Anyway, my friends, we better shut this one down. Um, so like always, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. Use the message button for anything that you think is show worthy or if you just want to chat. The email is CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. Uh, the telegram room is t.me backslash underscore two, uh, t.me CPR backslash, oh my goodness t.me backslash cpr underscore two and the website is canadianpatriotradio.ca uh thank you so much for tuning in again my friends and like i said sorry for the delay in shows um hopefully we can get a little bit more steady here it all depends on my cows if my cows want to cooperate then the shows will be a little bit more steady if they don't cooperate (laughs) they might be a little bit sparse so just bear with me through calving season we'll get through it and we'll keep bringing you a collaboration of news that you need to know about Anyway, my friends, until next time, in all thy armed sons and daughters, command.
thanks for joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.